It's Monday the 4th of May 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. Now I've been presenting this programme for a year and a half and I've been amazed throughout at the quality of guests we've had and this week is certainly no exception. This week we speak to uh, the chief epidemiologist of Iceland, Thorolvur Gvudnason, who is one of the troika of people who have been leading the emergency response to COVID-19 in Iceland, along with the head of the civil protection department at the state police, Vide Reynason, and the head of the directorate of health, Alma Müller. And we also talk to the prime minister of Iceland, Katrín Jakobsdóttir. But first, the chief epidemiologist. Thorolvur Gvudnason. It's uh, a big day today, right? 4th of May? Yeah, it's a big day. It's the first step uh, towards sort of uh, relaxing on the, on the um, yeah, assembly band that we have had uh, now for the uh, few weeks, past few weeks, yes. And what does this mean from, from your point of view, from a medical point of view? Are you, are you worried about uh, a second peak? Yeah, I think, uh, I think, yes, I think we are always worried that uh, escalating down uh, our uh, uh, restrictions that we have had will lead to some, some uh, bursts of, of the infections, but uh, we never know. So what we are really relying on the individual behavior of the Icelanders, uh, and I think uh, the indivi- individual behavior in terms of hand washing, using alcohol swabs, for example, and uh, uh, keeping the uh, two-meter distance uh, and so forth will uh, uh, help us through this. So I think that behavior is going to be the most important part in, 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 in limiting the spread of the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, it is a community effort. The whole country has been pulling together in this. But there has to be some personal congratulation to you and your team. Um, Iceland seems to have done better than many countries in dealing with this. What do you put that down to? Well, I think uh, from the beginning we, we knew exactly what we, uh, we were going to do. And we have been preparing for this sort of uh, uh, an epidemic f- for a long time. So we, our preparedness was, was pretty good. Uh, so we decided immediately that we would uh, be very aggressive in testing. We would uh, use isolation on, on uh, infected individuals and we would use the contact, uh, uh, contact tracing team which is composed of policemen and, and health care officials. Uh, and we would track down people who might be infected and put them into quarantine. And we've been very aggressive in doing that. And I think that has helped us a lot. Plus the effort from the, from the community in, in terms of individual behavior and then the restrictions that we have uh, used uh, all this combined together, I think, uh, has uh, uh, produced this result. You mentioned testing there. Um, I understand the new stage of testing is starting today, um, blood testing for antibodies. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, what, what we feel that we need to know at this point in time, we, we don't know the prevalence of the infection, how many Icelanders really have uh, been infected. So what we're going to do, we're going to co- collect uh, blood from, from uh, everywhere in Iceland, from all kinds of people to test for antibodies uh, and uh, that will hopefully give us a good idea of how prevalent the infection really has been in Iceland. Um, how do people sign up for that or is it by invite? Well, we will, we will start by uh, people who are going for a blood test for, for other reasons. They will, will be asked to give an extra sample to us. 
but it's possible that people might uh, want to sign up just for this um, uh, blood testing. We don't know at this point, uh, but we are aiming mostly now on uh, towards people who are signed up for other reasons for blood testing. And how accurate are these tests? Do you know? Well, it's, that, that's, that's a big uh, question, really. Uh, there are a lot of tests out there, uh, both rapid tests and uh, sort of conventional tests. Uh, we don't have a really good idea how sensitive and specific they are. Uh, so that's been tested here in Iceland of, of, D, of Decode. Uh, and uh, they have been testing blood from people who have contracted the disease. Uh, so they will have information on which tests are the best, which tests are the most sensitive ones, and which tests are the most specific ones, and uh, we will try to use those tests. Mm -hmm. And has there been a lot of progress there? <clears throat> because you said um, a couple of weeks ago that Iceland wouldn't be embarking on this program because it was so unclear which test was best. So you've got more information now, I presume. Yeah, we've got more, much more inf information now, and, and, and they have been testing different types of tests and to, to see which ones are the best ones. Uh, and we're still waiting for some other tests to arrive on the scene and, and be tested f for that as well. So we, we, we might not be able to produce the results of our uh, uh, prevalence study uh, until we have decided finally which tests are going to be the best and which, which one we're going to use. Uh, but there are a lot of tests out there which are claimed to have been 99% accurate and when you look at it, there is no really substance to, the, to, to, to that. Uh. Um, what, what would you hope for? What do you expect the results of this to be? Like, uh, do you think that half the population has had it or far, far less than that? Far less, I would, I would uh, assume, because we have been very successful in suppressing the spread of the virus here in Iceland. And so my, my guess would be that there would be less than 5% of the Icelanders have been co contracted the, the disease. Uh, uh, if, let's say, 10 or 20% of the Icelanders will have antibodies, I would be very surprised that that would happen. So I, my, my guess is less than 5%. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of next steps then, because clearly there isn't herd immunity in Iceland, um, what will be the next steps of releasing this ban and, and letting people get back to normal? Well, I think we, we're going to do that. We, we will have a plan for the whole summer. Uh, now we, we're, we're taking the first step. Uh, next step will be taken in three or four weeks. Uh, we haven't decided exactly how which one uh, are going to be the next step. It depends on the res results of this one whether the virus is going to spread again and, and, and we will have an increase in, in, in infections. It's, it's possible. Uh, and, but it's going to probably take the whole summer. Yeah, you, we have to be very careful because I think the Icelandic population is vulnerable, so we have to be very careful. Speculatively speaking, now we had one listener question from, from the US um, saying he's got a trip booked in July. Do you think there's any chance that will happen? Well, yeah, there's there's a group working on, on on suggestions on how to how to deal with that. At the moment, we have uh, we require that uh, all uh, tourists, all people coming into Iceland, uh, will need a uh, quarantine for two weeks. Uh, of course, we're looking into other possibilities. Uh, can we sort of relax on that in in some ways? How can we guarantee that people coming in uh, to Iceland uh, are not carrying the the, the virus? Uh, causing an increase in the infection rate here in Iceland. 
So that's a, that's a challenge to to sort of increase the the tourism in some ways, but at the same time ensuring that the uh, Icelandic population will be free of the virus. Yeah. So the answer is maybe. <laughs> the answer is maybe. It's difficult to say. July is far away, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's been certain differences, certain challenges in reaching Iceland's immigrant community, uh, the 50-plus thousand people from overseas that live here. Um, do you see that we've met that challenge well, and do you think it's an ongoing challenge, or is it something we've come over now? Well, I think it's it's always a challenge, uh, but on our webpage, uh, covid.is, uh, we have uh, information in, uh, in eight languages, uh, plus Icelandic. So we're trying the best we can to, to reach all, all, uh, all sort of uh, immigrant groups. Of course, there is always this question of if, how we reach, but we haven't had any complaints really. Uh, and I have not seen anything uh, saying that we are not reaching uh, people. So I hope we are reaching all groups with, with uh, adequate uh, information. Mm -hmm. um, what would be the, the, the threshold? What are you hoping for come the start of June, the end of May, uh, that will allow you to relax the rules further? Um, what sort of level of spike this month would be too much for you? It's hard to say. I, I've always said that it's difficult to to sort of uh, mention any number in, in rate of infection. Depends on where the infections are, which groups are hit by the infection, what will be the uh, the outcome. I mean, uh, are these people severely ill? Is it causing strain to our hospital system and so forth and so forth. So there are a lot of things that we need to take into the equation of what we're going to do. So. At this point in time, I am I'm not going to be able to say anything specific about about it. But of course, we have our own ideas. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone here is pretty excited about today, um, the being able to get their hair cut again and meeting some friends. What advice do you have? What what should we bear in mind right now this week? I think the most important is to to be focused on your individual hygiene. Uh, wash your hands. Don't touch uh, surfaces that you don't know who has been touching them. Uh, if you're sick, stay stay at home. Don't go out. Call your uh, healthcare uh, center uh, and ask for a test, for example. Uh, and uh, uh, sort of be, keep in mind the two-meter uh, rule. Stay away from from uh, strangers. Don't get into crowd uh, and so forth. These are the most important part in in preventing this infection and all kinds of infections. All the uh, respiratory tract infections and so forth. So if people keep this in mind and, and do as well as they've been doing so far, I think we're going to con continue to do well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Prime Minister, um, it's appropriate that we get you on the show today because the 4th of May is important this year, not only for Star Wars fans, um, but for everybody in Iceland. Uh, it's a big day, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, of course, because we have now taken the first step to lift restrictions. So uh, it's a very important step really in our fight against the virus. Uh, and we are actually seeing some very promising results with the with the rate of infections going down. So it's been like from zero up to three, if we look at a, a day, if we look at the last two weeks. So it's very promising. So we're continuing really with our plan to 
lift the restrictions slowly but safely. Um, and I think what happens today is going to be quite a relief for a lot of Icelanders, actually. Absolutely, yeah. You chose to address the nation last night on television. What was the, for the people that didn't understand that necessarily, what was the, the gist of it? What were you, it seemed like a very positive message. Yeah, well, actually, I think uh, we're at, so, um, I think we're actually at a turning point right now. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're actually seeing very promising results in the, in the fight against the virus and what our health authorities have been doing. We have been listening very closely to our scientists, following their advice, not going further than their advice, but still taking very strict measures that have, uh, you know, that have had a great effect on Icelandic society and, and, and Icelandic economy, obviously. Now we are faced both with the lifting of restrictions, proceeding slowly, hoping that we won't get a backlash, obviously. So we need to take every precaution uh, uh, while doing that. But also faced with the severe economic consequences of the restrictions. And for Iceland, uh, where 35 to 40% of our export revenue have come from tourism, obviously this is, uh, this is a, a big decrease in our export revenue and also uh, quite a change. We are seeing quite a high unemployment rate uh, these days. So we have quite a challenge ahead of us. Mm -hmm. That brings me on to a question I was going to ask later about the nations of the world. Obviously everyone's affected by this. All the countries are getting into debt, trying to um, support their economies. To what extent is that a good thing that we're all in it together? And to what extent does that you know, increase competition? Well, for us, because we obviously were hit very hard by the economic crisis in 2008 with our very big banking sector. Uh, so in those days, we felt like we stood quite alone uh, at some point, And it was, uh, for us, a very difficult thing, for example, to finance the Icelandic state for several years. Uh, it's a very different situation now because we're all faced with the same uh, economic consequences. Uh, they are not... Uh, quite the same because obviously it has, but still you can see that every nation is really faced with an economic crisis. So I think actually it's a very different situation. It's difficult to judge whether it will be easier or more hard or harder than, than the last crisis, but it's a very different one. And also the difference for Iceland is that economically we are in a much better shape to deal with a crisis than we were in 2007-8. Uh, we, whether you look at the economy, economy as a whole, and then I'm talking about the companies, you look at society and the homes and the families and the state budget. So well, if you look at all those three factors, there's much less debt, public debt and private debt, and, and we are much better equipped really to deal with the crisis right now mm -hmm. than we were 10 years ago. And how do you judge the mood among, among uh, your peers, among world leaders, in terms of this cooperation and the situation? Well, I think uh, what happened was that uh, in the beginning when very sudden decisions were made, for example, the closure of borders, which is something that people of my generation probably never thought they would see, uh, I think uh, we, we sensed a... a, a a very peculiar mood because people, different nations were dealing really with 
circumstances that they hadn't quite expected and weren't quite familiar with. But as we have, uh, as we have seen the virus and and the fight against it develop, uh, I experienced that uh, a lot of cooperation between both Nordic countries, European countries, and on the international arena. And as I said yesterday, um, I think we have been very thoroughly convinced of the value of international collaboration when it comes to uh, fighting a pan pandemic like this one here, uh, which really requires international cooperation to find remedies and, and solutions. Um, with regard to the daily press conferences that have been happening since the pandemic arrived in Iceland, uh, many other countries have chosen to head up those daily briefings with government ministers. Iceland took a different approach, um, and it seems to have paid off. Why did you decide to take a step back in that? Well, it was our decision in the beginning that uh, we were dealing with a health crisis. It was important that the professionals in the health sector would really... Uh, be the ones uh, mediating information, giving out direct information to the public, uh, answering questions from the public. So it was a, it, yes, it was a decision that we made very early in this process, and I think it has been a very good decision because uh, this is our our approach was really that we would deal with the virus by by having everybody participating. Uh, and the slogan was that we were all part of uh, Almanavarnish, which means the civil defense. So we're all civil defense here. And, and that slogan really meant that it was very important to have a direct information mediated to the public every day uh, and not make it a political happening, really, by having politicians lead it. You know, we've had several press conferences when we have been talking about political decisions, but this daily information meetings, uh, they shouldn't be really political. And we are moving into a different phase of the crisis now. The, the, the medical side is, is touch word, hopefully, uh, giving way, uh, but the economic one is still very much there. And there the government is at the very centre of it, isn't it? Um, the latest economic package was quite well received by the tourism industry. Um, but it can't go on forever. So what is going to happen to get jobs going again, to kickstart the economy, to make sure that we can go back to work? Well, the, several of the things that we have actually been presenting are uh, really, uh, well, several of our proposals revolve around creating new jobs, not in the tourism sector. You know, we are actually increasing public investment a lot when it comes to, for example, the transport system and, and the more traditional sectors like building sector. But we're also investing a lot in research and development and innovation. Uh, we are investing in creative industries. We're investing in uh, new solutions when it comes to energy and green solutions. So what we're doing really is trying to create and stimulate the economy, create new jobs by using the tools of public investment. But then we're also trying to uh, assist and help those companies that actually can survive the crisis 
not least when it comes to the tourism sector, and it's a difficult crisis because there are no tourists, really. I think we have a handful of them now in Iceland. <laughs> we actually know their number, I think, <laughs> and there, there are just a few. So, so we are trying to give those companies support to uh, reorganize themselves financially, but also giving them support to have some people working part-time, uh, and trying by doing that to also guard the rights of the uh, people in the workplace. Uh, we had a question from um, a listener saying that by taking on up to 85% of the cost of, um, of notice periods of people yeah. that have been laid off, the government is effectively facilitating companies laying off lots of people. Mm -hmm. Was that something you foresaw? And if so, why is that okay? What well, we're really not facilitating that because obviously if you don't have any business, you will lay off a lot of people. And if you go bankrupt, actually the government will pay the bill for that uh, in our system. So what we are doing really is we are uh, supporting companies to pay salaries uh, when people are laid off. Where as at the same time as they go through a financial restructure process. Uh, so we're really saying we will help you to uh, we will help uh, the people who are working for the company so that their rights are insured and they don't have to wait for the company to go bankrupt and we're also increasing the possibilities that fewer companies will go bankrupt but will be able to reopen uh, and this is actually on the condition that they will then uh, offer jobs again to those same people what was well, but i don't think really you know obviously uh, because of the situation in Iceland, people uh, will lose their jobs. What's the rationale, though, for, for doing it this way around, instead of, for example, just paying that money and, and people not being laid off on paper, even though they're staying at home either way, but it, it, it's a difference in, 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 you know, it makes people feel different, doesn't it? Well, there are two ways. Either you can be partially employed and have the rest and have your salary topped up by the government and that means that works for companies that are actually doing business even though they have suffered some losses so they can do it that way if companies have uh, suffered uh, more than 75 percent loss in their income their situation is quite dire so obviously they won't be able to keep everybody in work and then it's really about accelerating that pace of financial restructuring, which I think will uh, make the economy stronger really to either reopen or to make the companies uh, better fit for either reopen or close down. And I think if we've learned something from the last crisis, it's important to accelerate that process so we actually have a stronger possibility of a rebound after the crisis. Almost like a farming analogy, if you cut it back quite far, then it grows back better. Maybe that's a little bit what we are thinking about, yes. Um, obviously, there's a lot of um, immigrants, people born overseas in this country, 50-plus thousand people. Um, a lot of those are losing their jobs, just like everybody else is. Do you have a message for them at this time, when they may be struggling with unemployment, the possibility of benefits, yeah. and a similar unemployment in, uh, crisis in their home countries as well? Yeah, I think for people of every origin, really, uh, these are tough times. Uh, we have uh, 
a very high unemployment rate here in Iceland right now, and a historically very high rate. And I think these are going to be tough times, but this is not the worst place to be in the world because we have a sound welfare system and a very good health system an education system which is, will now open its doors and what we are working on is really providing people with opportunities to uh, enhance their education so they can actually uh, maybe find new opportunities uh, in the labor market when, when uh, we will see brighter times ahead. So I think uh, for those who are of foreign origin living here in Iceland and have lost their job, I think the time is right now uh, also to try to get new new education and, and see what's actually being provided by the uh, by the official authorities in that because there will be some opportunities there and I know that very well since I was the Minister for Education after the crisis in 2008 and about 3,500 people actually who had lost their job went to school different schools and, and different studies, uh, but I think that provided a lot of people with new opportunities. It did. I was one of those people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very good, yeah. Um, okay, I think that concludes it. Um, the, uh, the Week in Iceland will return to roof.is forward slash English, uh, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app and as a podcast next Monday, the 11th of May. My thanks today to my guests, Thorolver Gudnason, and of course to Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir who today has the privilege, in fact, the heavy responsibility of choosing our closing song. Uh, Catherine, what have you chosen and why? I would choose an Icelandic song with, uh, with the group Nidonsk, and it's called Hordu til Himins, or Take a Look at the Sky, because I think it's very important during a time of crisis to be able to take a deep breath and look up to the sky. And and really rethink everything. So now we're at that point. Perfect choice. Thank you very much. Yeah.